0: Hello med students, my name is Zach Olson and thank you for downloading this week's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. Last week, we discussed the approach to acetaminophen overdose, the king of all toxic exposures, and acetylcysteine, that was the big takeaway. That was the life-saving cure that you needed to remember. This week, we are discussing the queen of all tox overdoses, salicylate and aspirin overdose. Okay, we have a 22-year-old male possible aspirin overdose found at home by the roommate who advised a history of depression. He's on unknown meds for anxiety and depression, Uh, Maybe took half the bottle, was altered mental status when we found them responsive to pain and loud verbal only. Um, BP 160 over 100, pulse of 120, respirations of 20 all the way here, glucose of 140. We did find alcohol on scene as well. Does anybody have any questions? Okay, thank you. This week, I want you to notice something. With Tylenol, we were screening patients who were asymptomatic to see if they had sky-high levels of acetaminophen in their blood before they moved into that symptomatic liver death phase. That was easy. Anybody who you thought might have had an overdose, anybody that you thought was a psychiatric case gets screened with the test because acetaminophen is an asymptomatic overdose. Aspirin overdose is different. Salicylates are the great mimicker. It's like the lupus or the sarcoidosis of emergency medicine. When a patient with aspirin or salicylate overdose comes in, they are symptomatic and it mimics something else. Typically things we see much more commonly, a patient with salicylate overdose is symptomatic and it looks like sepsis or an acute abdomen hyperthermia, rapid breathing, altered mental status, abdominal pain. When somebody with those symptoms come in, aspirin overdose will never be the first thing that comes to mind when you see them. Salicylates are the great mimicker. That's what you need to remember as you train to become an emergency physician. Now, with that said, let's go through an approach. Step one, when do you suspect... An aspirin overdose. Or a better way of phrasing this, what are the symptoms of aspirin overdose? Keeping in mind that many of these overdoses are unintentional, aspirin does two things. It stimulates the brain and it irritates the gut. So let's talk about each of these. Salicylates stimulate the brain. This is what causes the most classic symptom of salicylate overdose, tachypnea. Rapid breathing. All of that stimulation also causes hyperpyrexia, fever, hyperthermia. And all of that stimulation, when really bad, causes altered mental status. We see this all the time in septic patients. The other effect of aspirin intox is the irritation of the GI tract. And so that's where we get the symptoms of abdominal pain and nausea and vomiting and that kind of stuff. In anybody with tachypnea, fever, altered mental status, abdominal pain, vomiting, nausea, you have to at least consider aspirin overdose and look carefully at those tests you'll already be getting, thinking this is probably something else, which brings us to step two. What are the abnormal tests in an aspirin overdose? The classic one that you're going to be expected to know is something called an anion gap metabolic acidosis. You've probably heard of this depending on how far you are in med school. An anion gap is something that gets calculated by the electrolytes that you send on pretty much everybody. A normal gap is like 10. If it starts to go up, you start thinking about anion gap metabolic acidosis. The other abnormal test you might see is an abnormal blood gas. Now, we don't get blood gases on everybody, but on really sick patients, you will. And you will notice something called a mixed acid base disorder. Again, you may or may not know this, and this is a whole episode unto itself, blood gases. But briefly, the patient will be breathing fast, and so their CO2 is low because they breathed it all off. That's called a respiratory alkalosis when that happens. And then the salicylates themselves are an acid. Aspirin is actually called acetosalicylic acid. When you have an acid in the blood, it's called a metabolic acidosis. So you have a respiratory alkalosis and a metabolic acidosis. So these patients have. A metabolic acidosis from the salicylate itself, and a respiratory alkalosis from the tachypnea, from that brain irritation. But don't get too dragged down in that today. Those are the two abnormal tests you will see an anion gap in a mixed acid base disorder. Step three is testing for aspirin overdose. This is a quick test you can order, just like the acetaminophen test. It's typically not a send-out test. It's called the serum salicylate level, and that's how you can confirm the diagnosis. Now, step four. Let's say that the patient does have a salicylate overdose. You've diagnosed it, but it's mild. They aren't that sick. How do you treat this? We do a trick called Alkalinizing the urine, which acts to drag out the salicylates from the blood extra fast. We give a drug called bicarbonate, typically sodium bicarbonate. And as this drips into the patient's bloodstream, their urine alkalinizes and their salicylate level drops. That's how you treat a mild overdose. But step five, if it's a severe overdose, You do have one other trick up your sleeve besides alkalinizing the urine. You can't do this yourself, but your nephrology team can dialyze the salicylates out of the patient's bloodstream. This has its own big set of risks, but it really does a good job of cleaning it all out of the blood and you can save a life. That's what I love about tox. If you actually can figure it out, you save the life. That wraps up this episode. Remember again, aspirin overdoses are very misleading. They are the great mimicker. They cause tachypnea and fever and abdominal pain and altered mental status. And so whenever you have patients with those symptoms, you have to keep your brain on and your attending is gonna be very impressed if you put salicylate in the diagnosis of someone with tachypnea and abdominal pain. This week's pimp question how do you calculate an anion gap? And what is a normal anion gap? We talked about this earlier. On all of these electrolyte panels that we're sending, you take the sodium and you subtract out all of the negative anion stuff you can think of. Chlorides are negative, bicarb, which for the record is represented by CO2 on the electrolyte panel. That's a negative anion. So that big pile of positive sodiums minus the negative chlorides and the negative bicarbs, and you are left with an anion gap. How much negative stuff or anions are left unaccounted for and are needed to balance out that pile of sodium? Normally it's about 10, and it's made up of a bunch of random stuff in the blood. But once it starts getting much greater than 10... Something else is in there. There's extra random stuff in the blood, and it can be lots of things, like aspirin. Lots of you have probably heard of the mud piles mnemonic. Maybe I'll do a mnemonic episode in the future, and we'll talk about mud piles, but you can look it up. But that is the approach to a salicylate overdose. Please send me an email, z-a-c-k at emclerkship.com. I'd love to chat with you. Please leave an iTunes review if you're a big fan of the podcast. And until next time, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.